to stand before you to share in God's word this morning. And so I'm definitely thankful for this opportunity, uh, getting used to having this uh, microphone that's kind of attached to your ear. That's always something a little different, but I'm still nevertheless excited to share in God's word with you this morning. And so if you are visiting with us, you are our honored guests, you are our, these are very uh, important persons. And if there is one thing that I hope that you walk away knowing this morning and was mentioned by Brother Davis, it's that we believe that the Bible is right. We believe that every word of the Bible is right and that it is God's roadmap for us to not just navigate through this life, but to make it from this life to the next. And so we do believe that uh, uh, the Bible is the roadmap. It is our guide. And if we are expected to do what is pleasing unto God, we're going to have to do exactly what it says. I think about what the Bible says in James chapter 1 in the verses 21, where James says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. It is my prayer uh, this morning that you do receive God's word, and in particular that you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we know that it's the gospel that has the power of God unto salvation. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 1. He says that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it being the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so if there's just one thing out of everything that I say today that I hope, trust, and pray you take away, it's just that. It's the gospel of Jesus. And so this morning, I'm excited to dive into this morning's lesson and uh, especially thankful for our leadership for allowing me the opportunity to do so and definitely want to make sure that we are mindful of Brother Eric as he's away. We want to be prayerful uh, for the work that's being done and how he is continuing to spread the gospel where he is on today. And so we will be this morning making ourselves comfortable in 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, and so if you will be meeting me there, that would be great. And as you're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 8, oftentimes, Oftentimes, I think about what it takes to walk in the purpose of God. I think about that for me personally, but not just for me personally, but as a, a people that are seeking to uh, live lives that are pursuing Him, that are seeking to live lives that are pleasing to Him, as, as, as people that are looking to be found in him, oftentimes I think about what that calls us to be. Now, there are a long list of characteristics. There's a long list of, of qualities that we can share, that we can highlight on this topic. But for this morning, I'd like to focus in on three. I'd like to focus in on three character qualities that we must acknowledge, that we must embrace, that we must lean into in order to live lives that are pleasing to God. And so this morning, uh, as we think about that, uh, our lesson is focused on and titled, Be Bold, Be Different, and Be Godly. Be Bold, Be Different, 
and be godly. Now, as simple as these characteristics may seem, we have, and if we haven't, we will face situations, face crossroads that will challenge either our ability or our willingness to be bold, to be different, and to be godly. We can see many people through Scripture, whether we go through Genesis all the way through Revelations, we can find people in Scripture that find themselves at that very same crossroads where they are being challenged with their ability of being uh, bold, being different, and being godly. Although we can see many examples this morning, I'd like for us to take a look at this crossroads that we find in 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, and if you have your Bibles, I'm going to pick up in verse number 4 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and the verses 4, the Bible reads, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Verse number 8 says, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. So what's happening in the text? What's happening here in 1 Samuel chapter 8? Here we find God's people. Here we find Israel with Samuel as their leader. Samuel, as the Bible describes, is up in age. He's old. He's been their leader for some time. They have been through some things. They have been through some situations together. Even as recent as the prior chapter in chapter number seven, number seven, we can read about how Samuel led the children of Israel as they were facing a battle against the Philistines. So they had been through and have been through some things together. But here in chapter eight, the elders approach Samuel, and they approach him with a, requ a request or perhaps uh, more of a demand, and they want Samuel to appoint a king over them. Now, for some, uh, this might be a surprise. After all that they had been through, this might be a surprise that they are now demanding a king, but this was prophesied way back under the old law. God said that this would happen, and not only did God say this would happen, he provided instructions or directions on what to do when it would. We find that back in Deuteronomy chapter 17. In Deuteronomy 17, the verses 14, the Bible says, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possesses it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. So not only did God call forward that this would happen, he then in verse number 15 provides some directions and some specifics on the king that would be selected. But here, but here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we find where up to this point God had been the direct ruler of his people. But after all he had done, but after all of the providing that God 
had did. After all of the, 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 the safety and security, the protection, after all of the making a way when there was no way, we find ourselves in this space. We find us, ourselves in this place where it's still not enough. They still request, they still demand to have a king. Now, we go, as we go through 1 Samuel chapter 8, we know that there's, about, there's a number of reasons provided. There's a number of reasons that support, if you are, that they give for this request. First, we know that Samuel's old, verse number 1. We know that Samuel's sons, they're acting up, they're abusing their power. He appointed them as judges, and they are acting up and acting out. We see that in verse number 3. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse number 5, we can read about how the children of Israel, they were looking at what's going on with these other nations. They've got a king, so you know what? We want a king appointed to us just like they have. So we see that there's a few factors here. There are a few drivers that's driving, if you will, this request. They want to be led just like the other nations that surround them. Later in the chapter, Later in the chapter, Samuel warns Israel, I hear what you're saying, I hear what you're asking for, I hear what you're demanding, but let me tell you what that means. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And then in verses 10 through 17, we begin to see Samuel's warning to Israel. He tells them, this king that you want, he's going to take your sons, he's going to take your daughters, he's going to take the best of your fields and your vineyards. Verse number 18, he says, that king that you want, he's going to make you cry out. Then as read in our hearing this morning, we see the response in verse number 19. 1 Samuel chapter 8 in the verses 19, it says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations, and that, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. If you're anything like me, it can be easy to look at what's happening with Israel, to sit back in our chairs and shake our heads and say, how could they, why would they make this demand, make this request after all that God has done? If you're anything like me, you sit back and you look at what's going on with Israel, and, you, and sometimes we forget that we've got more in common with Israel than sometimes we realize at times. See, in this situation, at this particular time, as people that desire to be led, because that's what we see here, like, the, like God's people, they are desiring to be led, they were faced with some things. They were faced with a certain circumstance that caused them to question what was to happen as they moved forward. What do they see? They see a, a leader in Samuel that's not getting old, but the Bible says is old. What do they see? They see his sons who he appointed as judges abusing their power. This is likely raising a question to them. What does leadership look like for us as we move forward? Likely raising a question about what's the future going to be like for us as we move forward. Likely causing a concern of what's to come. 
And in this very real situation, rather, rather than trusting God, rather than trusting God, they let the pressure that they feel drive them to want to step in, drive them to want to take things into their own hands. See, as we observe Israel and as we observe the situation that they're in, it's important that we recognize that it takes boldness to withstand, and not just withstand, but even to overcome the pressure that they were facing. It takes boldness. Now, when I'm talking about boldness, I'm talking about the ability to have confidence, not in themselves, but confidence in who God is. We're talking about boldness. I'm, I'm talking about the ability to be courageous, the ability to stand firm when I'm faced with difficulty, the ability to stand fast when I'm faced with adversity, when I'm faced with challenges, when I'm standing in front of something that scares me, I'm talking about the need to have boldness in our lives. I'm talking about the ability to walk by faith in spite of what the situation looks like. See, I recognize that the elders in 1 Samuel chapter 8 I realize, I acknowledge that they made a, a rational, uh, they made some reasonable points that were based on their circumstance. Samuel, you're getting up there, your sons, they're acting, like they made some rational points, but it's important that we realize that, it, that, 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 it's, that rational and reasonable points is not what they needed to make. Rational and reasonable and logical is not what they were called to be. What they needed to be in this moment was they needed to be bold. They needed to be bold. The same is true for us today. There are and there will be times when we face, when we find ourselves faced with a crossroads, when we're faced uh, with a situation that applies pressure to us, so much pressure that I am tempted now to take things into my own hands. Where we are faced with a situation that's going to require us to step out on faith. When we're dealing with a situation where the rational, the reasonable, the logical decision may lead us one way, but if we're going to step out on faith, I'm going to have to go another. We will find ourselves at those crossroads. But it's in those moments, it's in those instances when we feel that pressure that we've got to remember we must be bold. We must be confident in who God has been, who he is, and who he will be in our lives. We've got to be courageous enough to step forward in faith. I'm talking about boldness. And just as I mentioned, we find many people in Scripture from Genesis through Revelation that were at this crossroads. There are also many examples of people in Scripture who, while at that crossroads, they showed boldness. They showed the ability, the willingness to still step out in faith. I think about boldness that we see in Daniel chapter 3. I think about how we see those three Hebrew boys, how we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before King Nebuchadnezzar. I think about not only are they standing before the king, but they also are standing before the fiery furnace. They likely can feel the heat that's brushing up against their body. The rational and reasonable decision may have been in Daniel chapter 3 to go ahead and bow down. Go ahead and bow down. But we see boldness with their response in verses 17 and 18 of Daniel chapter 3. 
The Bible says in Daniel 3 and 17, he says, they say, if that is the case, our God whom we served is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Verse 18 says, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. We're talking about boldness this morning. We're talking about being courageous, being confident, not in themselves, but in who God is. Boldness that we can see all through Scripture. I think about Paul post-conversion. I think about when we see Paul in Acts chapter 14, roundabout verse number 19, we can see where Paul, after having been walking in the purpose that God set for him, he's beaten, he's dragged out. He's left for dead, left for dead. And what does he do? He gets up, and then we find him in the same spaces, the same places, preaching and teaching the gospel where he first felt and saw adversity. I'm talking about boldness. Acts chapter 16, we see Paul again showing some boldness, again walking in the purpose that God has set for him. We can read about how we find him in prison. What's he doing in prison? Maybe the reasonable and rational thing to do would say, hey, I'm going to just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep a low profile. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to try not to make a scene. But that's not what we see Paul and Silas doing in Acts chapter 16. What we find them doing is praising God praising God, and they're not whispering, they're not doing it with low voices. The Bible says they're praising God so that others heard them. Their actions, their behaviors, their boldness led to the jailer obeying the gospel. We're talking about being bold this morning. Being bold allows us to make godly decisions in an ungodly world. Being bold helps us to withstand and overcome the pressure of temptation. Being bold allows us to continue to walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and the verses 7. Being bold allows us to look at situations and circumstances and adversity and challenges, and boldness allows us to move forward in faith. Boldness has us sharing our faith with others. Boldness will have us sharing our faith with our friends, our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors. I think about the person that may be in our lives, that we for some reason have time and have space to talk about everything and anything other than our faith. I'm talking about the, the, the person that we know and God knows that we're in their life so that they can know Jesus but perhaps I'm nervous. What are they going to say? Are they going to still want to be my friend? Are they going to like me? But that person that we know is in our life for a reason, and that reason is for them to know Jesus. Boldness has us push past that. Boldness invites them to a Bible study. Boldness says, hey, would you like to come to worship with me? Boldness says, hey, you know what, have you, let me tell you about worship yesterday. That's what boldness has us doing. Boldness will have us walking in our purpose, our God-given purpose. See, not only 
not only must we be bold, but we must also be different. We must also be different. If we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, we just read verses 19 and 20. Samuel says in verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may be like, that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They wanted a king so they could be ruled like the other nations. In this exchange, they are either forgetting or they just don't care that God did not call them to be like. God called them out. God called them out. He did not call them to be ruled like the other nations. We can sit back, we can see this with Israel, but we experience the same challenges as well. God calls us and expects us to not be like in the same way. Sometimes, if we think about it, sometimes if we, if we, if we think about the words that we say, Sometimes we say the same exact words. We say that I want blank so that I can be like them. I want fill in the blank so that I can be like. And we can fill in the blank with a lot of different things. I want these clothes so that I can be like. I want these shoes so that I can be like. I want that car. I want that house so that I can be just like, I want to live in that neighborhood so that I can be like them. I want that job. I want status. I want it so that I can be like them. We can fill in the blank with a lot of different things. But then, what's even more interesting to me is that sometimes we may not even say the word. Sometimes we don't even say the words, but I would challenge us to examine our behavior. Because the words may never come out of our mouths, but our behavior, our actions may be saying that we want a king. The life that we live may say, I want to be just like everybody else. Examine our behavior. What are the decisions that we're making saying? What about the priorities that we have? What are they saying? The shows that we watch, the movies that we watch, the hobbies that we have, what are they saying we want to be like? Do they say we want to be like the world? Or is it saying that I want to be different? The life that we live oftentimes speaks louder than the words that we speak. They speak louder. I'll pause just for a moment just because oftentimes when we talk about this pressure, right, oftentimes we talk about the pressure uh, 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 to be like the crowd, to be like everyone else, we rightfully really focus in on our youth. And we rightfully focus in on our youth here because oftentimes uh, there is that pressure, peer pressure to be like the crowd. But it is important for uh, our youth to know that God has in fact called them to be different, has in fact called them to be bold and to be godly, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, that's something to be proud of. 
And as I talk about the youth, and as we rightfully focus on the youth, we've got to realize and recognize that it doesn't stop after my teen years, though. This pressure that we feel, it doesn't stop when we're in our 20s or in our 30s or in our 40s or in our 50s. But this is, in fact, something that we deal with, we may struggle with, we find ourselves at this crossroads with through our lives. Through our lives. We must be reminded that God's desire for his people is for us to be different. It was true with Israel, and it's true for us today. God makes it clear. I think about the words of Jesus in John chapter 15 and the verses 19. John chapter 15 and the verses 19, the Bible says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I think about how Paul said it in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses number 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse number 2, and be not conformed, and be not conformed to the world, but be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I think about how Peter said it, says it in 1 Peter chapter 2 and the verses number 9. Peter says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own people. Some versions might say peculiar people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Scripture, God makes it clear. We're called out. We're called to be different. We're called to be peculiar. We're called not to conform and be like, but rather be transformed. In so many words, God has clearly called us to be different than the crowd, to be different from the world. And God does not expect us to be different only when it's convenient, but especially when it's difficult. Whether we're at school, whether we're at work, whether we're in our neighborhoods, God has called us to be different. So as people that are seeking to please God, if we don't feel like we fit in, that might be a good thing. If we're asking ourselves or if we feel the feeling of, gosh, you know what, I don't fit in, I don't feel connected with the crowd, I feel out of place, I... I I would suggest that if we're talking about the world, that's not a bad thing. In fact, it might be something we should just go ahead and expect, something that we should lean into and embrace, that we are going to be different. And so if I feel like I just don't fit in at school, maybe I just might smile about it. Because I, I, you know what? I shouldn't even feel, I should not feel at home with the world the place where we should feel connected, the place that we should feel where we fit in is right here amongst God's people, feeling connected, feeling embraced, feeling loved. We've got to be different even when circumstances may influence us and pressure us to do different, to be different. Now, as we have in mind being different, let's not... Let's not just be different just for different sake. 
but let's ensure that we're different because we're godly. See, being different doesn't automatically equal being godly, but being godly will result in us being different. And so let's make sure that being godly is why we're different. We go back to 1 Samuel and uh, chapter 8, verse 7, we see that Israel rejected God with their demand, with their call for a king. But it's when we are different, it's when we are godly, that not only are we bold, right, not only are we in fact different, but we live lives that embrace God. We don't reject God, but we embrace God. Simply put, being godly is having a God-centered life, a life that is pleasing to him, a life that is moving towards him, a life that is seeking to be found in him, one that's moving in his purpose. And as we think about uh, being godly, the, God takes time all through Scripture telling us what godliness is, provides us example of what godliness is, tells us what it is. But God is so good that not only does he tell us what godliness is, he shows us by way of sending Jesus. And so if we want to know what godliness looks like, I hear what you're saying, but I want to see what it looks like, we have to look no further other than Jesus. Godliness is loving people like Jesus did, forgiving people like Jesus did. It's, it's seeking the Father's will like Jesus did. Regardless of my age, godliness is, is knowing that I can be about my Father's business. Godliness is serving and sacrificing like Jesus. Godliness sees cultural and societal barriers and trends, and he breaks through them, lets his light shine through them. Godliness is living like Jesus. Godliness sees uh, things in my life that I've got to get right, and godliness says that I'm going to get it right. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to move closer to God. Godliness is living like Jesus. We just got to look to him. As we examine 1 Samuel chapter 8, we can see what Israel was focused in on. We can see kind of what they were looking at and that their focus was not in the right place. Rather than being focused on God, we see Israel being focused on what these other nations were doing. Rather than focusing on God as the centerpiece in their life, they're looking over here and they're looking over there at what everybody else has going on. I think about how the Hebrew writer says it in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 in the verses number one, the Bible says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2 emphasizes looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As the Hebrew writer visualizes this thing we call life, describes it like a race, where should our focus be? Looking unto Jesus. 
if we're going to be godly, we've got to be focused on Christ. Not focused on what others have. Not focused on where others are going. Not focused on what they're buying or, 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 or what's going on in their lives. Not focused on what they're posting online. But rather, if we're going to live godly lives, we've got to be focused on Jesus. We've got to be focused on God, on his blessings, and on his promises. As we're looking to be bold, as we look to be different, as we look to be godly, let's appreciate, let's appreciate the sacrifice that was made for us. Let's appreciate what we see Jesus doing for us. Let's really personalize John 3 and 16. We know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But sometimes there's value in saying, hey, you know, yes, God loved the world, but God loved me. God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus stood there in front of the crowd while they were yelling out, crucify him, crucify him for me and for you. He was mocked. He was spit on. He was made fun of, not for anything that he did, but he did it for me and for you. They beat him. They whipped him. Tore off his flesh. Put a tree on his back. He marched up Calvary's hill. He hung on that cross after they put nails in his hands and in his feet. But why did he do that? He did that for me and for you. They took him down and put him in a borrowed tomb. Thank God on the third day he rose with all power, which is why we call it the good news. And this morning as we, as we begin to close, you know, this morning I understand that it can be difficult sometimes. It, I can get tired sometimes. I can get weary sometimes. It can be hard to be bold, be different, and to be godly. But if you need some motivation, allow that to be your motivation. If you need a why this morning, why should I be bold? Why should I be different? Why should I be godly? Let that be your why this morning. As we begin to close, you know, there's a lot of different characteristics. There's a lot of different qualities that we can talk about. There's a lot that we can unpack as it, as, as it pertains to living a godly, a faithful life. But this morning, I offer us those three. Not just to hear, but to embrace, but to lean into, but to embody as we seek to live lives that are pleasing to the Father. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, God wants you to become one. He wants you to become a child of his. And the most boldest, then the boldest decision that you can make is that decision to become a Christian. He wants you to be different. He wants you to be godly. He wants you to be all those things that we talked about this morning. And the beautiful thing is this. God makes it very simple in order to do so. We've got to hear his word, which we've done this morning. Hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he, how he, how he died, how he was buried, and how he rose again. Hear Hear the story of Jesus. We know that uh, the Bible teaches us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, so we've got to hear it. We've got to believe it, Mark chapter 16. Not only do we have to hear it, we then have to repent of our sins, 
uh, Luke 13 and 3 saying, hey, you know what? I don't want to live life like everybody else, but now I want to be different. I want to be different. I want to be like God. And after we repent, we then must confess Jesus to be the Son of God, Matthew chapter 10. And then we must be baptized in water for the remission of our sins, uh, Mark chapter 16, Romans chapter 6, and other places. And with baptism, our sins are washed away. We, come, we go down a sinner, we come up a saint, we come up a new creature in Christ. We come up different. And so if you're here this morning and you find yourself subject to that invitation, I would ask that you would come. Or this morning, if you are here and you're just in need of prayer, we know life can get challenging at times. The Bible teaches us that the prayers of the righteous availeth much. And so I would uh, suggest, I would request uh, that you would come if you find yourself subject to that invitation. Uh, and so at this time, if you find yourself subject, we would ask that you'd come after we stand and sing our invitation song.